Hello all, and welcome to Brewing with Jim, hosted by Jim Brewington. Jim is a pastor and a teacher, and has served in these roles for the past 45 years. He has worked in small churches and megachurches, primarily as a teacher serving both the hearing and the deaf population. We have surveyed the students here at CVCS and do our best to create a genuine conversation around the talking points the students want to know most about. Thank you all for listening and taking time to brew on Life's Questions with Jim. Hi everybody and welcome to Brewing with Jim. I am your producer, Grady Sanchez, and as always we have Jim. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm good, Grady. Thank you and uh, hi everybody. It's good to be with you. We have an excellent show today. Uh, if you're a parent, this is an excellent one to listen to. Maybe you can gain some insight. If you're a student, this is an awesome one to listen to <laughs> as we try to make some improvements on how we speak. I am surrounded by high schoolers all day. Jim is surrounded by, I guess, silent high schoolers because they're they're oh, they talk. All the time. They, no, they talk and sign. <laughs> yes. Yeah. American Sign Language is what I do here. <laughs> yes. And. I'm trying to keep up with the latest lingo, whether it's on fleek or that's lit or uh, whatever the kids are saying nowadays, I am trying to keep up. But then when I want them to turn in a paper or an assignment or create a presentation, they carry over that language into their academic side. And I'm wondering, and the, the listeners are wondering, is it important to speak correctly? There are two or three schools of thought on that. And one is that you can have a dialect that is just local and ethnic. And uh, it, there's an important reason to stay inside that dialect. But I'm of the school, uh, literally and uh, metaphorically, that uh, refined language is very important. It's very important. I don't let this get out. But when I was in third grade, I think, third grade, about there, um, I fell in love with grammar. Now, most people don't fall in love with grammar, but no, I think I fell most in love people, with math. That's it. That yeah. Most people, I think, somewhere along their elementary development in school fall in love with something. They find some subject that's fascinating, and I want to know more about this. I've heard people have done that with history and with reading and with uh, math, and I did it with language. I did it with linguistics, although at the time I didn't know that word, and I did it with um, grammar. And when I discovered that the grammar was like a puzzle, math is a puzzle, mm -hmm. by the way. I think uh, algebra should be changed to puzzles. More That's people right. would sign up and you just figure out what's missing. Exactly. And yes, okay. That last puzzle piece is always that missing. <laughs> it's up to you to find it. <laughs> yes. If you use, never mind, I don't want to go down that trail. But I really enjoyed uh, knowing about grammar and what is correct and what is not correct um, because it adds clarity to what we're saying. Now, that passion, if you will, stayed with me through high school. I began to write. I began to enjoy writing. I enjoyed writing and reading. Uh, I've been an avid reader for all my life since I was old enough to read. Love libraries. Love this whole language thing. Mm -hmm. Well, that stayed with me into college, into the universities. And when I went to Texas Tech University, 
I had to have a, ma a minor, and I already had a major. I majored in psychology. I wanted to be a clinical psychologist, but I had to have a minor. It was required for the diploma or for the uh, degree. And so I picked English because I thought it was easy. It was always easy for me. I forgot that they're probably going to make me read a lot of books. And some of times it was, it was two books uh, this week. And I was working full time. So anyway, that nightmare uh, turned into uh, a, a dream accomplished when I graduated. The idea of having refined English has two important points to it, results. One is clarity. If I'm talking to somebody and my grammar is correct it, and they understand correct grammar, then there will be a clear exchange of ideas from one mind to another, clarity. When God confused the languages at the Tower of Babel, he did a great job. That's right. Oh, it was a fabulous job. He not only um, had a result of many different languages all over the world, but people who speak the same language don't understand each other sometimes. If you're married, you know what I mean. Two people married to each other, and they're talking, and, oh, I thought you meant this. Oh, I didn't mean that. Well, you said that. Well, no, that's not what I meant. If the grammar is correct, if the syntax is correct, if the mind is focused on how do I clearly convey these things to another person, uh, there will be understanding. Otherwise, there's confusion. So refined language uh, brings clarity. It also brings credibility. Credibility uh, in the sense that I believe what you're saying is probably uh, correct because you sound like you know what you're doing and what you're thinking about. You sound like you have thought about these things. Credibility, right or wrong, and it's wrong, uh, of a message, the credibility, the believability of a message is often determined by the credibility of the messenger. And if the messenger sounds like he doesn't know what he's talking about, she sounds ignorant about these things and because the way she expresses it, the tendency could well be and is often, I don't believe that you know what you're talking about. So there's the theme, if you will, of my theme of this whole episode here, this podcast, is yes, use refined language and keep refining it, keep improving, keep thinking about how you say things. The intimidation I have here is now that I'll make mistakes as I'm speaking. <laughs> that's, what, that's what editing is for. That, <laughs> yeah. It, I. Okay, I just went uh, into another thought pattern, but let me come back. When I was at Texas Tech University and I was taking advanced English classes, I had one teacher who uh, assigned a theme on the first day, that, an essay that we were to write. And we all wrote an essay and turned it in and everyone in the class failed it except for one person and I was not that one person I failed it too I don't remember who that person was she was she the teacher was trying to send us a message of being more focused on the way we write things the way we use words and she corrected everybody in front of everybody so that we could all hear what these corrections were 
I remember one day in her class, one student raised his hand and said, I don't think that this is very, she said, whoa, don't start a sentence in my class by announcing to everybody that you don't think. Don't, that's not what we're about. You start your sentence with, I do think, and then negate it later. I don't think I want to go uh, to Disneyland. You start instead by saying, I think I don't want to go to Disneyland. That moment in the class, I decided to change the way I say certain things. Mm -hmm. But she mentioned also, I have a list here. Yeah, yeah. I had a I had a student one time. He was giving a speech, and he said, "In my opinion, I'm like you're speaking. It is your opinion. You don't need to state that it is your opinion mm -hmm. if you are creating your own thought." He's like, "No, I, I just want to say in my opinion." I was like, "It's redundant." And we got into this big old argument. I'm like, a couple of the things that I learned in college because I myself I love reading, just like you, but writing was not my thing. I, grammar was really hard for me. It didn't really make sense to me. I'm a math guy. Somehow grammar didn't make sense to me. And so as I was learning to write in college better and better, the best advice I ever got in my own writing was if you're going to use the word is, change the sentence. And that had me reform how I would write my sentences yes. in a different way. Yes. And it made it almost like more artistry like it wasn't so black and white of a sentence it actually had some some life to it and so just taking out the word is just changed the the framing of my writing and then the other one was uh, don't be passive which is where I'm coming from was like in my opinion that's a pretty passive idea or I don't think that's a pretty passive idea just go all in or all out make your statement and then prove it Good points. Uh, yeah. Good points. I, I go with every one of those. Yeah. Yes. Another expression yeah. that I hadn't thought about until you were talking just now is uh, needless to say. Well, if it's needless to say, don't, don't say, say it. it. <laughs> Why are you? Needless to say, I didn't need to say that, he mm -hmm. said needlessly. <laughs> I started to say, yeah. uh, I have a little list that I've made uh, and I've made it over the years. Right. Don't say this when you mean this. Mm -hmm. And one of the um, one of the entries I have on this is don't say big when you mean avid. Oh, I'm a big baseball fan. No, I'm just average size. I'm an avid baseball fan. I yeah, I have I have that type of uh, what what do you call big in that sentence? Is that an adjective? Yes. Using to yes. frame man. Yes. yes. In our own conversations, even today, I was like, he's a Mac guy. Well, he's not a Mac guy. He's just a, a guy who knows about Mac computers. Oh, that's very or common. Or e even uh, when we were talking about Thanksgiving back in the day, I'm a big turkey guy. I'm like, oh, you're a big turkey? Uh -huh. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm a big asparagus person. I, that's not a type of person. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Well, you're beginning to get this curse I have. The curse I have is listening to language and um, and analyzing it. Another one is don't say jealousy when you mean envy. Uh, all jealousy is predicated on a fear of loss. I have something and I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. I have a girlfriend in high school and she's my girlfriend and somebody else asked her out. Now, if I fear losing her and I have been in that situation where I did, then I become jealous I fear losing her. If I don't care if I lose her, I'm not going to be jealous. My next door neighbor has a brand new car, and I want one like that. 
That's envy. But commonly, people, I don't know if it's common, it's frequent that people would say, I'm jealous, he has a new car. It's actually, I'm envious, he has a new car. So many people have made that mistake that now the dictionaries are saying that one meaning of the word jealous is synonymous with envy. But you're going to clean up your language if you know it isn't, and it happens to be that jealousy is a word that is used in the Bible frequently, I was just gonna bring and so up, is envy. And Yeah, I was just going to bring up, so God is a jealous God, but in 1 Corinthians, love does not envy. God is love, but love does not envy. Are they the same, and how would you... How does that work in the nature of God being jealous? I think that, well, there are three verses. One is, um, love is not jealous. I think that's 1 Corinthians. And uh, God is love. Mm-hmm. And God is a jealous God. Mm-hmm. How are you going to resolve that one? Well, I could leave that to your theology class if you want, because that's not what this podcast is all about. Yeah. But jealous is... Um, I have no reason to be jealous uh, of God because his love is not going to stop. If he loves somebody else, I'm not going to lose him because Mm -hmm. he loves somebody else. He could well have our attention and love. Our our attention and love can turn away from him. We can turn our backs on God. The natural reaction is, by natural, I mean the divine reaction to by the attributes of God is that I don't want that to happen. You have choice uh, as a human. Uh, that's arguable too. But it, you have choice as a human, and I don't want you to turn away from me. He didn't want. He doesn't want anyone to turn away from him. Therefore jealous. Uh, Yeah, I think that's the important distinguishment between envy and jealous, especially when it comes in the Bible context. God is is jealous because he wants you. He he doesn't want you to turn away from him. He wants you all the time in relationship. Exactly. Where envy is something where it's just like, I want that. God is not envy. He doesn't, he has whatever he wants. He's God. Jealous is jealous. Yeah, he he longs for the relationship with you. And when you start to turn away is when he becomes jealous and, and wants of you back. It's a natural reaction for a divine being yeah. and for us too uh, because our spirit is turning uh, away uh, in the sense that uh, his spirit would reject that idea also. Mm-hmm. That um, envy can be intensified. My neighbor next door with a new car, oh wow, that's beautiful. I want one like that. That's envy. Does envy work with covet? Thou shalt not covet? Yes. Well, uh, yes. Paul writes frequently about the horrible results of envy. Don't envy. Mm-hmm. Says it says all the time. I could think about that car next door and intensify the envy. I want one like that, and I don't want you to have one. That's more intense, and that's selfish. Self-centered, unloving, mm-hmm. so yes, all that. Okay, back to English. Um, don't say anxious when you mean eager. Anxious means create anxiety, which is a an emotion that comes up when we think of what might be happening, mm-hmm. what might could happen. Mm-hmm. If I say I'm really anxious to go to Disneyland with you, then don't go. 
because you're saying that I want I may I may have anxiety about going to Disneyland with you, but you can say, of course, uh, that I am eager to go to Disneyland. Yeah, excited. Don't say anxious when you mean eager. Another one: um, Are the candles lit or are the candles lighted? Well, as you think about this. You look in the dictionary. Oh, by the way, the dictionary doesn't tell you what's right and what's wrong. It tells you what's most frequently used, what's popular. Mm-hmm. And, funner. And it will, uh, what? Funner. Funner. Yeah. yeah. Well, it should be more fun grammatically, but so many people just kept saying funner that it got accepted into the dictionary. My mom has really bent on that one. She's not it's, happy. But. Yeah, okay. I heard you say once before uh, that your mom was interested. What was? Oh, I remember what you were talking about. Nauseous and nauseated. Yes, so she's an English lit major as well. And so one of her things is uh, feeling nauseous, where it's like you should be, it's nauseated. And so there's these back and forth, or maybe I'm misquoting her, but the, the way most people use the term nauseous is incorrect. Um, I'm going to disagree. I hope your mom uh, doesn't change my opinion. She has obviously done a wonderful job raising you. But uh, I... Nauseous is an adjective. Nauseated is a verb. I feel nauseous. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. If I am nauseated, something has, transitive verb, nauseated me. Right. Something has made me nauseous. Therefore, I am nauseated. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That, I don't have a problem with that at all. What do we talk about? Oh, light and light lit. And lighted candles. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, tomato, <laughs> potato, potato. I, um, I know that light, uh, lighted and lit are both correct. They're both correct. So now you have a word choice and the way you choose to speak English. I have chosen lighted because I think it's more refined. Mm-hmm. But somebody could chose, choose lit. Yeah, the candles are lit. Fine. People get lit. Uh, lighted to me just seems more... Dignified. More. Fish or fishes? Say again? Fish or fishes for plural of fish? I don't know. It's another one. Fishes. It's both. Well, that's another case where it's both. Fishes. Fish. There are many fish in the ocean. There's a lot of fish. I caught a lot of fish yesterday. Who uses fishes? I don't It's still good. I, still I've, plays. I think I've never heard that. <laughs> Or I could say, I don't think I've ever heard that. I think I've heard that. I think I've never heard that. Lay and lie, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that one. If you don't know the difference between lay and lie, anyone listening to us, learn. Lay means to place and lie means to recline and reside. The truth lies in the Bible. I don't go lay down. If I'm going to get lie on the bed, I'm going to go lie down. Okay, mm. I don't want to spend more. Schooling and education. Mm, it's possible to have either yeah. one without the other. That's a big one. Yeah. Schooling is not – the school is in charge of the student's schooling. The person – the student is in charge of their own education. Mm-hmm. You develop a desire to learn and you uh, have a curiosity and you go find out the answers or how to work the problem or how to write the sentence – uh, there is that one. How do you go about adjusting somebody's grammar, or how how they go about oh, speaking? What are what are some what are some tips and tricks that you have learned as a as a language teacher to help students 
correct the way that they speak? Well, if they're students, um, one thing I do is not correct somebody's English in front of everybody else because if a person thinks that's going to happen, they're going to be inhibited, they'll quit talking. And so I don't do that. But I have a clipboard that I keep at the front of the classroom, and I may write down something to remind me and then just have a general uh, teaching at, at in maybe another class or at the end of that class, and, or yes, at the end of that class, and maybe teach what's right instead of what's wrong. But I, generally, I don't correct other people's English. Um, we just came from a faculty meeting this morning here. Many of the faculty spoke. Two of them made constant pronoun errors. And these are educated people with advanced degrees. Was I one of them? No. I spoke a little bit. No. No, you were not. <laughs> no, you were not. But I'm not going to correct that. Yeah. I sit there and wish that were corrected. Uh, I've had a fantasy uh, of people, those little bells on the counters, yeah. and everybody in the room has one. one, and somebody makes a grammar mistake. Ring, 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 Maybe ring. I'll do that. Well, I have, I have two, two instances about, Excuse one me. is about our faculty meetings. Last year, our principal had made a PowerPoint slideshow, and he is, like, living on this one for, for years now, and it, he put bare minimum, like, the animal. Oh, yes. And, yes, I remember. And so now, every time that we get to talk about the bare minimum or bears at all, we we just like well, let him funny. have it a little bit because it's, it's really funny. And then there's another one where, speaking of the bells, when I go through presentations and I notice that maybe a, a high schooler says the words like or um way too much in their speech, I'll just start counting. And then they'll wonder what I'm counting. And then by the end of it, I'll have multiple hands and, well, maybe, toes, an idea. and maybe toes of, of times that they had said like. I'm like why did you count toes. things in my speech? I said, that is how many times you said like in the wrong, in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of gets them to rethink how they space out their words or the, the dead air between thoughts. I think we have to be careful about correcting other people's uh, speech and grammar because it will inhibit them and they will not be open anymore right. to speak and they'll just quit. But also we have a responsibility, or at least I have a responsibility uh, as a language teacher to uh, correct. I have students uh, who sometimes say, well, you I just can't explain that. It's just too hard to explain. Why is it too hard to explain? You have a beautiful language, American English. You have um, hundreds of thousands of words in American English. You have to master those words, or you have to learn those words. You have to be able to put them together correctly. And then it's not that difficult to describe something. That exercise, I have them describe uh, in class in English, I, um, is for the purpose of transferring that description skill into ASL, into American Sign Language. And that uh, is the reason we do it. I have one student who will stand at the whiteboard, face the whiteboard. The other student will face the, I almost said congregation, will face the class. And then uh, the person who's facing the class needs to describe a room in their house. And the person on the board writes down Here's the room, the square, the rectangle, whatever it is, and places all the furniture and where are the windows and whatever. That is a very fun exercise for me. They hate it, uh, and they want to do it over and do right. it again and yeah. do it again.
Let me go on with a couple more of these, if I may. Um, do you say barbecue or do you say grill? It depends on what part of the country you're from. But barbecuing and grilling are very different. Barbecue, I'm, you're talking to a Texan here, or, and also somebody who is around Kansas City quite a bit. Barbecue is, requires marina marinating the, the meat and then putting it into a smoke environment and putting a spice rub on it. Uh, it's a process. And at the end of that, you have barbecue. But people will say, uh, come over to my house this weekend. We're going to barbecue some hamburgers. No, you're not. You're going to grill them. That sounds like delicious hamburgers. <laughs> to do all that? <laughs> yeah. How I'm you, in. How, how do you put a spice rub on ground beef? I'm not sure how That's that... That's why I'm in. No, no. <laughs> one of the... Uh, another one uh, that I hear frequently, even here, is uh, to push back or to push forward. If I schedule a test on Wednesday and the students want it to be on Friday because for some reason, they'll say, can we push back the test to Friday? No, we don't push it back. We push it forward. Almost always references to the future are forward and references to the past are back. So I correct that one with the students. What about Caribbean or Caribbean? Hmm. Talk to me about that. You know about that yeah, one. Yeah, we have the Pirates of the Caribbean. That's what's frequently said, but it's actually Pirates of the Caribbean because the Caribbean pronunciation is the noun and the name of the sea, and Caribbean is the adjective. So you could take a Caribbean cruise to the Caribbean. <laughs> I'm the only nerd on earth that I've ever encountered myself. <laughs> Uh, who says Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Disney itself does not say Pirates. Do you know the difference between nude and naked? I teach that to the students, too. Now they perk up. Which one's the birthday suit? That, so, <laughs> well, both. <laughs> both. Naked means to be without clothes on. Nude means to be without clothes on for the purpose of being seen. So there are nude paintings, and there are nude models, and there are places where you can go in and uh, observe that uh, on, on the way to the airport at LAX. <laughs> Naked is, um, is just no clothes. Now, I make that distinction. The sign, by the way, is the same. But I make that distinction for the students just because it's fun. Uh, hot water heater? Uh-uh. It's a water heater. If it's anything, it's a cold water heater. You don't need to heat hot water. So get rid of hot water heater. Rooftop, housetop. It's housetop or roof, but the roof is the top. So I have a garden on the housetop, but in New York City, there are rooftop gardens. So you, you have to make a decision. I mean, do you want to just fight the, the flood tide here? It's like putting your foot in the ocean to hold back the tide. It's going to come in anyway. So... Uh, Another one that I learned and wondered about when I was in college writing about uh, Sigmund Freud, whose concept of the subconscious, the thoughts that we have the, that we don't know we ego. have, yep. yeah, all that. Uh, many people say unconscious. Oh, well, unconsciously, you really don't want to do that. Unconscious means you're in a coma or asleep or not aware of anything that is going on. Subconscious is a thought that we have that we don't know we're having. We're not aware of it at the time. Uh, and 
the last one, I guess, because our time is running out here. Uh, is a person antisocial or non-social? Two different concepts, but I hear people using uh, antisocial for both. Antisocial means that I have something against socializing, and I uh, may even socialize but disrupt when I'm there. I'm opposed to socializing. Non-socializing, non-social, is just I don't want to go to a social situation. I avoid social situations. I'm not opposed to them. I'm not antisocial, but I am not going to go to a party because I don't want to go to a party. What about the, this is the last one, I promise. What about the pronunciation of because or because? Be in English, the, the verb be means to exist or state of being. And the cause of something is the um, situation that results uh, in a result that makes something happen. I have chosen to say because, because I think it's more refined. But, and people don't seem to notice, but my students are all because, because, because. Right. It's just a language choice. You can make the, the distinction if you want to. I, you put a nickel in me or a quarter, and I'll go on forever here. I don't want to do that anymore. Yes, grammar camp, four-day four day with Jim Brewington. If grammar you're, camp. If you're ready we and you're willing. We should start a punctuation seminar. The punctuation seminar. Please uh, RSVP here at brewingwithjim <laughs> at gmail.com. Send in your questions. Send in your grammar critiques of the show. Send in. <laughs> Communicate with us, interact. We are looking forward to talking with you guys. And thank you all for your input thus far into the show. We've had a lot of fun with all of your great insight and your inquiries. We'll have fun with you again very soon. Yes. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Goodbye, everybody. Topics covered and answers offered in Brewing with Jim mine the wisdom attained from a life of pastoral ministry and care. They do not constitute professional or clinical training or expertise in the areas of counseling or mental health. CVCS and its podcast network want to provide a platform for the discipleship of our community. Brewing with Jim is our attempt to foster that environment in a format that is accessible and open for all to partake in. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and may or may not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Capistrano Valley Christian Schools or its faculty. The material and information presented here are for general information purposes only. This episode has been a production of the Capistrano Valley Christian Schools Podcast Network. Capistrano Valley Christian Schools is a Christian JK-12 school in San Juan Capistrano, California. Be sure to check out, subscribe to, and leave a review of this show and the other shows on our network on your podcast player of choice. Doing so supports the school community in a multitude of ways. For more information about the CVCS Podcast Network or any of our other shows, check out cvcs.org or email podcasts at cvcs.org. On behalf of the whole network, this is Mr. Jasper saying thank you again for listening and stay tuned for more.